Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex podcast this week. I'm Juad as always. Thanks for joining me. It's the 18th of July. Uh, winter is still rolling on, as you'd expect. Nothing really changes that drastically uh, weather-wise, but we are coping. <laughs> We're coping. Um, British Grand Prix over the weekend. Uh, classic race it was, even though the outcome might not surprise many, but it's how it all came to be, which is great. And there was quite a bit going on over there in old um, old England over the weekend. British Grand Prix, Wimbledon finals um, for the tennis fans out there, and also the Cricket World Cup final as well. Um, all happening on the same day, believe it or not. So, you know, Wimbledon, you had... Um, Novak Djokovic beating Roger Federer, of course, Federer in a kind of unlosable position ends up giving that one away, and then the Cricket World Cup final, a bit of controversy in there with uh, England ultimately winning on countback of boundaries, so, you know, the match was tied, they went to a super over um, to uh, as a tiebreaker, that's what they do in cricket, and... Even they, they tied in the Super over too. <laughs> and um, in the end, because of uh, how many boundaries England had over New Zealand, that's how they won. So good for the host nation, I guess, to, to win there. But um, otherwise, you know, a lot of people feel like New Zealand were robbed. But um, yeah, you know, I guess it is what it is. The outcome, um, if New Zealand wanted to want to complain about not winning it you know they could have just made more runs at the end of the day so you know in hindsight you could talk about the rules and everything but at the end of the day they didn't make enough runs to be able to win so we'll leave it at that but yeah British Grand Prix for you guys so classic race as I said um, very exciting and you know the last two races have been really exciting which is good to see um, being talked about but the outcome was that Lewis Hamilton scored his sixth win on home soil, so he becomes the most successful driver at the British Grand Prix. Previously, he was tied for fifth, for five wins, sorry, and now he's scored his sixth. So that only puts him next to Alan Prost for most wins on home soil. So Prost won six French Grand Prix in his time, and Hamilton now has got six uh, British Grand Prix wins under his belt. So way it all came about, Valtteri Bottas was the one who scored pole, and we talked about how um, it was a crucial weekend, basically, for him, championship-wise, to to get a good result, to finish ahead of Lewis Hamilton, or to get that win, and, you know, on Saturday, he came out and got the pole position ahead of his teammate, and we all know how Lewis draws extra energy and strength and speed, or whatever you want to say, mojo from the, the home crowd and the fact that uh, Bottas came out and beat him for pole position last year, you remember, Hamilton was left shaking after his pole lap, so, you know, Bottas beat him on Saturday, and then at the start, those two were fighting wheel to wheel, Hamilton was desperate to get past, but the defence that Bottas put up was, you know, the hallmark of, you know, a solid driver and next to Hamilton as well as his teammate, you know, all these people who write off Bottas and say, oh, you know, he's he's no good and all that sort of stuff. Bottas actually, yeah, held his own against Hamilton in that, um, in those few laps that they battled. Eventually, Hamilton had to just uh, tuck in behind and hold station um, and it was, it was basically in the, uh, the pit stops that it all went wrong for Bottas, so he came in on lap 17, took on a set of medium tyres, 
and we thought he would be doing a two-stop, and that was, uh, you know, we're all wondering how Lewis Hamilton's going to respond, what's he going to do, does he go long, do a one-stop, um, how does he respond to Bottas, it's, it's basically Bottas's race to lose now, and before you know it, there was a safety car triggered by Antonio Giovinazzi, so he beached himself in the gravel, and that pretty much changed the complexion of the entire race because it wasn't just Hamilton who was given a free pit stop here. There was quite a few drivers that gained and lost positions because of it. So Hamilton ends up getting a free pit stop for hard tyres. And because he was already ahead of Bottas on track and had a reasonable margin as well, with a safety car coming out, it just neutralises the field and you, t you, know, you can't go at full throttle. So... Basically, Bottas lost more time as a result, and Hamilton came out on hard tyres, which meant he could go to the end of the race. Bottas, meanwhile, had to make another pit stop because they started the race on mediums, and then their first pit stop was for another set of mediums. So that was game, set, and match, basically, for for Hamilton and Bottas. Um, you know, Bottas, you can imagine, would have been livid at this, and, you know, it's not anyone's fault basically it's just one of those luckless moments and poor Valtteri has had many luckless moments um, not just this year but last year as well when you look at um, how his time at Mercedes has progressed sure this year has been a lot better and you know he's got a couple of wins under his belt pole positions and he's, he's doing a lot more to warrant keeping him for another season but yeah this is in this situation you really just have to put your hands in the air and and curse because it's just the yeah bad luck basically and it wasn't just Bottas who who copped it you know there's other drivers as I'll go over in a little bit too that came on the wrong side of the safety car so yeah basically Hamilton was able to go to the end there Bottas made a final pit stop for soft tires to try and set the fastest lap which he did do before Hamilton comes and strips him of even that so to rub the salt in the wound a bit more and that was on old old hard tires as well on the final lap did Hamilton go in and punch that fastest lap so yeah you know was he holding anything back you know was he not driving at 100% you've got to ask so yeah another uh, classic win for Hamilton but those guys you know, it was good to see them fighting wheel-to-wheel -wheel at the start of the race. So, you know, that's where it all sort of excited excitement-wise. Sorry, that's where it all started excitement-wise. Um, and then as we go down the field, so we had another wheel-to-wheel -wheel battle, you could say, Austria Part 2 between Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc. So, safety car then came and hurt Charles Leclerc's race, um, meant that he came out behind the uh, Red Bull's both of them, um, and we saw those two actually in the pit lane coming out side by side, and it was Verstappen who lost out first, and then Leclerc ahead, so, you know, great to see those guys starting this rivalry, which now everyone's talking about is going to go on for at least a decade in Formula One, and I guess, you know, all the naysayers out there who are just tuning out of the sport because of the Mercedes dominance or because Lewis Hamilton wins absolutely everything all the time. What's not there to be excited about when you've got two young Chargers, same age, 21 years old, in two top teams, Red Bull, Ferrari, going wheel to wheel like that for two races in a row. So, you know, you'd expect 
there to be more as the season goes on. Hopefully Germany next week. Hungary as well is always a, a good one to watch. So, you know, those two again at it. Charles ultimately came out on top. He uh, came back and got third in the end. So we saw Leclerc have to pass Gasly and then Verstappen. Um, and that was the bizarre thing with Verstappen. So because of um, the safety car, it put Sebastian Vettel in a better position. And he again had a poor qualifying um, nowhere near these guys at the front, but he was now within, um, he was being hunted down by Max Verstappen after the safety car. Then lap 37, when Verstappen goes to pass him, he does pass the Ferrari at the Stowe corner. And then the next corner, Seb tries to come back and basically rear-ends the Red Bull. So, another mistake for Sebastian, <laughs> which, you know, he got 10-second penalty, but, you know, you might as well when you get when you have to go back to the to the rear of the grid with damage on your car, have to make an extra pit stop, what's a 10-second penalty going to do? So his race was pretty much done. It didn't matter if he got a penalty or not. The bizarre thing, though, is that Max's car was pretty much... It looked like it was undamaged. He was able to go to the end of the race and finish fourth, sorry, in fifth or whatever. So the one time that Pierre Gasly's finished ahead of Max Verstappen this season... So, yeah, you know, still a good haul of points for, for Max, but for Seb, it's just, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to talk about this in a little bit anyway, but it, ever since, so coming into this year, the I know there was pressure on Seb, and I certainly put a bit of pressure on him and said too, look, you know, this, is, this could be a final chance for him to, to win a championship because... They've had two years back-to-back -back where they've, they've been in there, but then they've just lost it right. You know, there's one thing that goes wrong and they lose it, you know. They've got more to lose than Mercedes do, for example. But this year, it's just not been there. And whether it's as a result of, of the last few years, all the mistakes that he's been making, who knows? But yeah, I'll talk about that on its own just after this uh, anyway. Um, Seb finishes way down. I mean, George Russell, who had his best result um, this year, career best P14, you know, even he finished ahead of Sebastian there. So that was, uh, you know, pretty bad <laughs> in the end for him. And given that he won this race 12 months ago as well, um, it's... It's a big, big, <laughs> you know, contrast. There's a big contrast between where he's at this year and last. So, yeah. So, that was your top five, top six. Not really top six, sorry. Top five finishes. Top six, if we want to talk about that. We had Carlos Sainz as a benefactor of the safety car. So, he was able to make a single stop and go onto the hard tyres. He was being hounded by Daniel Ricciardo for that last part of the race and was able to basically hold him off, which was a good result again for McLaren to finish ahead of Renault. Renault scored points with both cars because Nico Hülkenberg also uh, got the um, benefit of the safety car, went on the hard tyres with a single stop and ended up scoring some points just behind Kimi Raikkonen who was on the same strategy too. Um, some of the guys who lost out in the safety car, so the big one is Lando Norris. So he started inside the top 10. Um, they pitted just before the safety car, and then because they went on the same tyre, they had to pit one more time after the safety car. And he was, you know, absolutely livid and unhappy with that because, you know, his home Grand Prix 
looking to keep up that momentum of points. And in the end, you can't really blame the safety car for it. And it just changed the, as I said, the complexion of the race where they had, you know, they couldn't really do anything. So poor Norris had to make that final pit stop and then basically came out outside the points. Alexander Albon too, Anglo tie driver. So he is, you could call him a Brit. As well, um, his home race of sorts too, he ended up having to um, plummet to P12 because his tyres just dropped off. So another victim of that safety car, ill-timing for strategies. And yeah, he was he was looking real good all weekend and it was his teammate, Danny Kvyat, who was struggling. And then they basically switched positions because Kvyat ended up finishing in the points and uh, Albon was the one who, who lost out in the end. For Haas, again, a horror weekend. So I talked about last week as the trouble started brewing uh, between Rich Energy and the team and, you know, William Story and all that. And that drama is still ongoing at the moment where it sounds like um, Rich has gotten rid of Story as the CEO and um, all of his shares of return. They're going to be changing names apparently blah 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 but you know that it's it's just another distraction I guess that Haas doesn't really need and you know what happened to them in the first lap was that both cars crashed into each other and basically as a result of the damage had to retire as well so you know for a team that's been just dreadful the last few races showing no real sign of improvement we're trying to understand these tyres and get their car to work in the race yeah, crash like that is just awful. So Grosjean, throughout the weekend, he had the Australia spec car whilst um, Magnussen was running the current spec and they were going to try and find out what the differences is between them to try and get on top of the issues that they have. But unfortunately, you know, they didn't even last half race distance. So, or even quarter race distance, I'm not too sure. So both out early not looking good for them so far as far as you know being in that hunt for the fourth in the constructors championship but at the same time you know these blips do turn up so it's whether they can work themselves out of it is going to be the question so I know I have no doubt that a team like Haas with the resources that they have will be able to do it the question now is uh, what's happening on the sponsorship front with Rich Energy so you know apparently they have a bank guarantee so the team will still be paid out, paid or paid out or whatever so they don't lose anything financially but it's just more so the credibility of the the sponsor and everything is what um, a lot will a lot of people will start questioning even more now I'm sure there was people who questioned it last year when you know we were asking why is this guy so desperate to to get a Formula One sponsorship deal going or try to buy out a team or whatever eventually Haas were the team that um lended their bodywork and panels for them to for rich energy to put their logos on so it's a it's an interesting one that um how it all shape out wasn't a great race either for racing point we know that their um workshop their factory is at silverstone as well so it's always like a bit of a home race for them despite the new ownership so Sergio Perez, his race ruined by an early hit with Nico Hülkenberg um, and basically ran with a damaged car throughout the race. Lance Stroll, uh, again, qualifying outside the top 
you know, getting knocked out, sorry, in Q1, ended up um, just making up places from the rear to P13, so that was the best that he could do from the position he was at. So, yeah, you know, as I mentioned last week, it's basically, you know, the team is suffering through legacy problems of the last year and the lack of funding that they had. So, you know, but there is, you know, there's positives for them ahead because we know that their future's secure, that they've got the funding for development and everything. So, you know, you can pretty much count on them turning the ship around as, and they're such a great team at doing that. Remember last year where from Belgium onwards, their points were reset because of the, um, because of the change in ownership and everything, and they still came back and, you know, beat, I think, McLaren in the Constructors' Championship. So those guys do know how to turn the ship around, so it's going to be exciting to see where they end up at the end of the season, I suppose, to when we look at it midway through after the Hungarian Grand Prix. Other things, I guess, to take away from the weekend, so championship-wise, Lewis Hamilton's lead does grow heading into the next race in Germany but being the British Grand Prix it's always a special weekend being the birthplace of Formula One and motorsport and yeah last week we did confirm that um, Silverstone will be on the calendar for another five years Um, there was some special stuff happening as well as far as the broadcasters were concerned so Jensen Button for Sky was able to take out his um, 2009 championship winning Braun car which was really really good to see um, you know, obviously being a big fan of Button and his 2009 championship win, um, it was almost a bit emotional seeing him back in that car, uh, Ross Braun as well watching, and such a fairy tale, fairy tale story that year for those guys to, to do what they did, so, you know, that was one thing, um, and then Frank Williams, so Frank Williams, you know, he obviously only... His health only allows him to be at the British Grand Prix every year these days and um, to see that he was there, but also to have him take a special uh, hot lap with Lewis Hamilton in a Mercedes road car. Now, that was something really special to see and to see Sir Frank Williams look so happy in the car and, you know, obviously there was a bit of um, concern that, you know, he shouldn't go fast or do any burnouts and everything, but you know, Williams was loving it, which was really good to see, so, you know, bless him and everything, and um, Lewis Hamilton as well, uh, taking him out for a lap of Silverstone, so that was really, really good to see, and they always put on a, put in the effort for Silverstone, I guess, given that the sport is so Brit-centric and everything, so, you know, it was, it was good to see. Um, Red Bull as well, with their Aston Martin sponsorship, were able to um, hit up the James Bond, James Bond franchise had 007 branding over the car. You had Daniel Craig as well, the current Bond, um, there on race day too. So uh, Steve Coogan as well, Mr. Alan Partridge himself, um, and he said something funny like um, he's been trying. Alan Partridge has been trying to get Lewis Hamilton on his show for for some time. So imagine if they got one of the F1 drivers or somebody an f1 legend even to come on to the to our alan partridge episode or something that would be quite funny so yeah quite a big fan of alan partridge so yeah again you know great weekend great race even though hamilton won and extended his championship lead but having said that i think even though we can pretty much count this title race over if we get races like this every week 
um, like we have in Austria and now in, in Britain, then I reckon we can easily see out the year and then wait till next year for, for the championship to reset because there's no denying, because what this says is there's no denying Lewis Hamilton is in the form of his career, is the best driver on the grid and it's going to take a lot more from everyone. Now, Bottas provided, you know, he he fell on the wrong end of bad, he fell on the wrong side of luck over the weekend, but Hamilton just has a knack of to win these things, same as Mark Marquez in MotoGP, so it's just going to take a lot more for them to for them to try and bring him down and everything, so yeah, look forward to see what the next few races will look like, and of course, Britain as well, sorry, Germany is going to be home race for Mercedes-Benz, so they'll be looking forward to, to getting a good result there, and I guess spot us just for for personal pride, it would be a matter of uh, taking a win there if he can, so that'll be good to see, and um, we'll see how things go. So now on Sebastian Vettel, um, yeah, just going back to what I was saying before, coming into this year, this wouldn't have even crossed my mind, or I'm sure many would have said that it wouldn't have crossed their mind, the prospect of Seb potentially saying this is it, you know, and call time on his career, because again, he's only 32 years old, he was the youngest Formula One champion when he won for Red Bull in 2010, and then won four consecutive um, but then since then, it's been it's been pretty lean for him, of course, and we know, you know, the story, if you want a quick rehash of of how things panned out for poor old Seb after 2013 and the fourth, fourth win that he had, you know, 2014, the regulation changes, um, and Mercedes was the best team because they had the best power unit, Red Bull along with Renault, they, they weren't as strong, but Seb also didn't really get to grips with this new formula as much as his teammate Daniel Ricciardo did back then. So when Ricciardo replaced Mark Webber and um, was the Red Bull rookie in the car and, you know, Ricciardo got to win a few races that year while Seb didn't. So it was a winless season for Seb, the first one that he had since 2008. Long time. <laughs> Long time for him. And then ultimately made the decision um, at the end of the year to move to Ferrari to fill the vacancy left by for Fernando Alonso. And, you know, the whole fairy tale about Seb following in Michael Schumacher's um, footsteps to emulate Schumacher's success and to rebuild Ferrari after they had their own issues, you know, changing management again, Alonso leaving, having not really achieved much while he was there, you know, 2015 was a bit of a fairy tale year as far as, you know, getting three wins on the board and also just rebuilding and rebuilding that foundation for a championship challenge, but, you know, 2016, winless again, didn't happen for him. But then 2017, when we had another change of regulations, that's when, you know, Ferrari really put the foot forward and they were really strong, but only in the first half of the season. They won five races. And then from the second half, it all came undone for them. And it's not just Ferrari's fault either. I think Sebastian Vettel has to be the one to be accountable for a lot of 
what's happened over the last few years as far as not being in contention. So, you know, you look at the mistakes that he's made this year. So Silverstone crashing into Verstappen, then Bahrain as well. He he found himself spinning when he was fighting Lewis Hamilton. Canada, again, with Lewis Hamilton. And then that infamous penalty that he took that ultimately took that win away from him. And you can add that to the list of... Baku 2017, where he rammed into the side of Hamilton on the safety car. Germany last year, so we're getting to 12 months since, 12 months on since Vettel's famous um, moment in Germany, which you could say arguably was the tipping point in the championship last year, where if he had, you know, not lost control of that race and dominated all the way to the end, he would have. It could have been his year to win, in hindsight, you could say. But, no, he crashed out. Um, Suzuka as well, last year, again in trouble. So, what's happened? What has happened, is the question to ask. Are we seeing a shadow of his, you know, former self, or just not even at the moment? It This is not the Sebastian Vettel that won for world championships in a row or is it no the form wise it's just not been great one argument could be that you know Seb was never a great wheel-to-wheel racer he won a lot of his races from pole position strong at the front and everything and even when he was at Red Bull he was finding himself in trouble at times you know Mark with Mark Webber in Turkey Abu Dhabi 2012 as well he was a bit uh, crashing out a little bit um, when he was working his way through the field but at the same time, you'd think that since then, Seb would have matured. And we've seen it in a few of his drives for Ferrari, of which, of course, he's won a total of 13 races since he joined them in, in 2015. But just on those numbers alone, it, it doesn't seem as impressive as what um, what it was for him during the Red Bull era, because... Back then, we were saying, oh, you know, Seb might be the guy to to become the statistically the best in Formula 1. We didn't really think about Lewis Hamilton until his domination started at Mercedes. And now Hamilton's the one who's within, I think, so that was his 80th win, I think, over the weekend. So Hamilton now within 11 wins of equaling Schumacher's record. So if Hamilton went on to win every single race for the rest of the year this year, which we hope doesn't happen <laughs> from a neutral perspective. But if it were to happen, yeah, just let's just say within 12 months from now, unless, you know, we, we touch wood, nothing happens to him injury-wise, um, that within 12 months, you'd expect Hamilton to have equaled Schumacher's record of 91 wins in Formula 1. So Hamilton's already the, the pole position person outright pole position holder he's within two championships as well of equaling Schumacher but this was all this was all on Seb's shoulders you know to to do and I think it just hasn't worked out and you know was his best chance for a title back in 2017 and in 18 I reckon 18 looked a lot stronger than 17 but then 18 even though Ferrari had the best car throughout the year you know, apart from the little mid-season lull that they had, it was off the back of Seb's own mistakes that really cost them. And I think, you know, maybe the ship has sailed at last. Um, and 
where he's at now, given the competitiveness of the drivers around him. You know, Verstappen has been really solid this year so far. Vettel's own teammate, Leclerc, you know, so Ferrari took a huge gamble, which I didn't think Ferrari would do, um, to take on Leclerc, just the 21-year-old coming into this season. They never take on young drivers like that, but maybe they really are putting their, you know, placing their eggs into the bar, the future basket, and maybe Vettel's past it now. So the question is, should Seb retire? From a neutral perspective, you would have to say yes, because, you know, it'll open up the silly season, of course, and, you know, we'll get a potentially a Daniel Ricciardo move to Ferrari, finally, Ricciardo in a in a championship-winning car, what he can do alongside Leclerc. But at the same time, you know, Vettel, as far as his own performances are concerned, it just um, it just seems like a it's not there anymore. You know, the dominant Vettel that we've seen for so long. Even last year, he had some really strong drives, and we thought, yeah, you know, he's back. Is Sebastian the finger is back? You know, waving and Ferrari are back, but. This year, where Ferrari could have had better results, and Sebastian was the guy who was in a position to do it, it didn't work out for him. And then the last two races, of course, as well qualifying, um, was not really impressive for him in terms of uh, comparing him to Leclerc. So, I guess you could just conclude that you know perhaps it's time, and it's it's sad in a way because you know you, we wanted an even fight between Hamilton and Vettel, and you know Hamilton the last two years has prevailed and was we needed Seb to sort of even the stakes a little bit but you know it's basically it's not going to happen and where does this leave Vettel legacy wise as well because I'm sure it's going to sort of tarnish it in the way that um well not really tarnish but um just put a little bit of a um a blot on it where a tiny little blot where he wasn't able to win for another team, win a championship for another team. It was all down to Red Bull, and, you know, we know how Red Bull was a team effort with Adrian Newey behind the design of the car, Renault as well. They had the best engine at the time. So, yeah, for Sebastian as an individual, it does look really, really sad in a way, but... I guess he's got his own life as well outside of Formula 1, even though he's only 32, he's a father, he's a husband as well, um, and we ex- fully expect him once he leaves Formula 1 that we would hardly see Seb again, you know, because he's such a private person. So, yeah, you know, I think, I think, yeah, if, if his form isn't going to improve, um, of course he's contracted to the end of 2020, and he has expressed his desire to stay on as long as the rules beyond 2020 going into 2021 are going to be, you know, good enough for, for racing, you know, to have wheel-to-wheel racing and, you know, the cars are more fun to drive and all that, like the desire that all the drivers have. And I think they're talking about, you know, using ground effect again for 2021 and making the cars a bit more, you know, design them more around ground effect and all which drivers say is makes it really fun so if those cards line up for Seb then you can see him staying on but 
you know, if he feels that he can't perform anymore, then, you know, wouldn't wouldn't be surprising if he decides to call it a day. So, you know, I kind of don't want him to. I want him to, to win a title for Ferrari if he can, just for all the work that's gone into it. I mean, this is the curse, you know, because Alonso was never able to win one and Alonso's nemesis at the time was Vettel because Vettel was winning at Red Bull. And now that Alonso moved on and um, gave up and moved on, Vettel came over there and, you know, it would have looked really good for Vettel if he was able to turn around Ferrari's fortunes. But in the end, no, he hasn't. So both those drivers have sort of fallen on their swords a little bit going over to Ferrari and not being able to achieve what they wanted. Alonso only won his two titles for Renault too and that was, you know, more than a decade ago, you know, 2005, 2006 is a, is a long time ago now. Um, and for Seb as well, it's, um, you know, next year will be the 10th anniversary of his first championship win. So it's hard to believe that, yeah, we're already nine years on after young old Seb won his first championship in F1. So, yeah, you know, if he can win if he can win for Ferrari and it can be done next year or if he decides to stay on next year to do it, great. If not, then, you know, I guess, yeah, it's it's the seed at Ferrari is there for the taking. Someone like a Daniel Ricciardo could step in, Kevin Magnussen or something like that potentially as well. And, you know, we could have a really, if Ferrari turned their fortunes around, we've heard that they've gone and gotten Simone Resta back, who they sent over to Alfa Romeo to, as the technical chief there. So he comes back. They've got Laurent Mekis there. And, of course, um, Binotto, the team principal, they're rebuilding. So hopefully next year is when we can see them up there, whether Seb will be there or not. I guess it's it's in his own hands. So I really don't want him to retire if it means that he misses out on success with Ferrari next year. But we're going to have to see him win some races this year as well and see some good performances that, you know, can not only give himself the confidence that he can do it, but also give everyone else confidence in him. Because at the moment, I think everyone's of that same opinion that it's not looking good for him. He keeps making mistakes. He, you know, every time he's close to another car, he, for whatever reason, spins or crashes into them. Looks very amateur, and that's not, I guess, the the hallmark of a four-time world champion. So, yeah, you know, it's going to be an interesting one. But one wild prediction, I guess. You know, what if he comes out next weekend, the scene of where he crashed out last year and his championship bid went up also with the with the rest of the car into the wall, what if he wins? And it's a statement that I'm still here and I'm still here to win. That would be really good to see. And I think, you know, as far as all the neutrals are out there is concerned as well, they'd probably want to see that as well. All right, moving it on now. And let's do a bit of hit the globe and see what's what's happening elsewhere in the world. And Formula E, we had the championship final round um, for the previous season it's always confusing when it's like over split over two years so i think season five it was <laughs> all the formula e fans are going to hate me but um yeah let's just say the 19 sorry the 1819 season for formula e and john eric verne was able to capture back-to-back titles um a bit of a controversy surrounding him over the weekend so during the first race uh, they had 
two races um, over the weekend at New York. The first race, um, he there was a controversial radio message which he put out. Um, you know, he was along the lines of what happened with Crashgate back, if you remember, in Formula One at the Singapore Grand Prix with um, Renault having Nelson Piquet Jr.'s car crash purposely just to trigger a safety car for Alonso to win the race. Um, and Vern explicitly on the radio said something about, you know, get Andre Lotterer, his teammate, to crash or to, I don't know what it was, so that, you know, Vern could get an advantage from it. And, you know, the FIA, the stewards, they found that to be unsportsmanlike along the same lines of um, Max Verstappen giving Esteban Ocon the push and shove in Brazil last year. And he's been hit with some community service hours. So, you know, that was, I guess sort of marred the weekend or, you know, the race for for Vern in that sense, but it didn't stop him from going back to back. So the first multiple winner, multiple championship winner in Formula E since it came into the sport, uh, it came in to world motorsport. So good on Vern for doing that. Um, Lotterer, not as a result of having his teammate want him to crash or whatever, <laughs> Um Lotterer will be going over to Porsche for the next season. So um, I always thought it might have been Brendan Hartley who would get that um, second seed of the Porsche Formula E team for the new season alongside Neil Yarny, who was already confirmed. But no, it's Lotterer who, I guess, kind of was still on Porsche's books after the World Endurance Championship program folded. So, yeah, he'll be making the switch from Tachita, the current team that he's at to Porsche, so that'll be exciting to see. And, of course, Mercedes as well, coming on board finally um, as a manufacturer. So at the moment, they're represented by HWA with uh, Stoffel Van Dorn having a solid season, rookie season for him in Formula E, and Gary Paffitt's so Mercedes. Um, and Porsche strengthening Formula E's manufacturer ranks. They've already got BMW, Neo, the Chinese manufacturer, Audi, and um, did I say BMW already? Probably. <laughs> anyway, and Jaguar there as well. So, yeah, quite a bit of manufacturer um, presence over there. IndyCar, Toronto, another street race. Another great race because there was some madness all over the place. And Simon Paginow won that one ahead of um, Scott Dixon and Alexander Rossi. Will Power crashed out, unfortunately, towards the end of the race. But um, Paginel, you know, he's had such a strong middle part of the season, you know, with the month of May winning um, uh, winning Indy, the Indy Grand Prix, getting the extra points and sort of, sort of shoots up in a championship contention. So Joseph Newgarden still has a, a lot... A bit of a small lead in the championship over um, Alexander Rossi, but uh, now Paginel's up into third, so he'll be looking to, you know, strengthen his charge towards the end of the year. And you know, you got three different, you know, you got two Penske drivers up there, then um, the Andretti driver in Rossi. So it should be a, a good conclusion to the championship, hopefully, over there in the IndyCar land. And to finish it off, going back to the top with the Cricket World Cup, so obviously England won that one and, um, you know, they've sort of been building towards it ever since their humiliation in 2015 and they sort of became one of the best one-day teams over the last few years. 
New Zealand all humble and um, had a lot of humility in the loss as well. It's just how New Zealand are, I guess. They're such such great people, great players, and I'm sure they'll be able to be in a strong position again the next time the World Cup rolls around. But overall, it was a bit of a disappointment in the sense that, you know, weather had a lot to do with it over there in England. Um, I wasn't a big fan of the round-robin style format either. Preferred it when they had the group stages. It was a lot more unpredictable um, in that sense until the finals rolled around. You know, disappointing too, I guess, you know, the way that um, weather did kind of shape a few of the results as far as, you know, in hindsight, you know, the Pakistan-Sri Lanka game, I think that got rained out and then they were given one point each and everything and you know that one point could have been what got them into a top four position as well um over New Zealand but you know New Zealand going on into the final was good to see so and Australia as well you know they they had a solid campaign throughout but then right at the end they sort of choked with um you know the loss to South Africa before the final and then of course, being hammered by England um, in the in the semi-final, so yeah, you know, not the most memorable World Cup, I say, I'll say, and hopefully the next one's a lot better. But I guess for England, you know, first time that they've won one, it's um, you know, it's not going to sit well <laughs> with any of us, I'm afraid, um, here in Australia. But you know, just give it to them for this once. We'll get them in the Ashes, actually. So and excited actually that that's coming up too as well, you know, um, test match series, Ashes, always intense, will England be caught with their pants down, I guess, after their World Cup celebrations, can Australia redeem themselves, because, you know, they haven't won one in England for quite some time now, and, um, you know, we know that we've had the return of David Warner and Steve Smith after their lengthy bans, Cameron Bancroft also a contender for the uh, test team, so it's going to be a big one for Australia, and you know, coach Justin Langer as well, the new captain, Tim Payne, there'll be pressure on them to see if their brand of cricket that they're playing at the moment, even with the guys like Smith and Warner, who should only boost their stocks, but, you know, to make sure they're playing the right brand of cricket and um, also get one up over the ponds. So, you know, that'll be really exciting to see how that all pans out. Um, and I think next month in August it all starts, so... Never ends with the sport, and me, unfortunately, and a lot of people tell me, you know, you've got to be joking that, um, you know, even if Formula One's not on, you've got something else on, usually, and, um, yeah, it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not that desperate that I'm sort of clawing at the bottom of the barrel <laughs> to, to, to watch things, no, not at all, but um, speaking of which, this weekend is a rare weekend because there is no F1, there is no V8 supercars, there is no MotoGP, there isn't any, I think, top flight motorsport on on TV. So I don't know what to do with myself for this weekend. I don't know what to do. So please pray for me that I get through this weekend <laughs> unscathed. I don't know. I might do a movie marathon or something or maybe something social for once. Who knows? <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in this week. Um, be sure to look us up on Facebook. Hit the Apex podcast uh twitter also hit the apex uh media i think it is you can listen to this on um itunes spotify also through transistor 
Um, and yeah, next week we'll be back to preview some races for you and talk more sport. <laughs> Thanks, guys, and I uh, hope you guys have a good weekend. See you then. <laughs>